Okay, this is Josh T. Franco interviewing Adriana Corral at her home in Houston, right? You're in Houston? Yes. Yeah, in Houston, Texas, um, on July 24th, 2020 for the Smithsonian Institution Archives of American Art Pandemic Oral History Project. So Adriana, hi, thank you for talking to me for the archives. And yeah, we just want to start with how have you been since March? Um, I've been, um, it's, these are unprecedented times and I think it's, it's been, uh, a lot of adjustments, um, adjustments with the pandemic, uh, with, um, health, with loss, um, with social unrest, but also with life. Um, and so looking at kind of each of those things and um, wholeheartedly and really s almost spending more time with each of those things and how to be resilient through them. And um, that was a question that was asked early on uh, of this pandemic to me um, by the curator, Denise Markunish. And it's something that I keep uh, going back to um, because when you are faced with um, whether it is financial burden or a health issue or uh, a loss, um, and it's all, all of this is compounded by the pandemic, you know, because we're either required to stay in lockdown or stay remotely to the confines of our home. And so as a person who um, does extensive research and field work and uh, connecting with other people to um, bring more life to the work that I create, it's taking adjustments. And um, to, to be quite honest with you, what I love in this type of oral history that you're doing, I didn't, re I didn't realize the huge significance of oral histories until I worked on the Bracero program um, or the piece that I did in reference to the Bracero program, Unearthed, uh, Desenterrado. And, and then seeing each of these contributions of the, these oral histories and listening to hundreds of them, um, they're so vital. They give you an insight to um, a time, a place, um, it, and it can be unpacked in so many levels. Yeah, it's been, um, you know, this kind of collection is new for us, and uh, it's something I'm able to do while I can't travel and visit papers, because, you know, most of my job is going to people's storage units and homes and studios. So I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, and we have a big oral history program and this will be part of it. And that's um, what the value is. But, so what do you mean by more time to sit with loss and what does it meant? What have, have you learned new things about loss because of being stuck at home with it? Um, I think when you're not able to necessarily attend a funeral, in a physical way. Um, how do you do that virtually? Yeah. It's, 
it's really challenging. Yeah, I've had to, yeah. I think it seems like the more every week that goes by, more people are missing funerals. I've missed mine too. Um, yeah. Thinking about your collaborators, because I, I know your practice, I know how much you collaborate and rely on visits with people and curators and scholars. Um, have you been able to keep those relationships up through Zoom and through the virtual technologies? Yeah, and I, I do want to add just one note to that last question that you asked. And despite having that tremendous loss, my brother just had a, a baby and his wife. And so it's also looking at life too. Mm -hmm. And and how these these two things interlace with each other. You know, um, my three other nephews, I was able to be there in the same room when they were born. And and also, you know, um, kind of sitting with those, those emotions of, you know, when you've lost somebody, but then you have this beautiful life coming into this world as well. Um, and, and, and getting updates, um, you know, from my family about, you know, the progress of the baby or, um, I think it's, it's these two things that are kind of the core things that are, you know, what drive me to make the work that I do too. It's life and death and, yeah. and celebrating both of them. Um, but also allowing yourself to mourn, you know, yeah. for those things. Um, but yes, so, and your next question was, I'm so sorry. Well, just, is your family, is everybody in El Paso? No, we are scattered everywhere. Um, I do have my parents in El Paso, but uh, the rest of my siblings are kind of, um, I have a brother that's um, in Dartmouth, Mass. He's in radiology, so he's also kind of in the front lines with this pandemic. I have a cousin who's an ICU nurse there in DC, who's primarily a COVID nurse. Um, an uncle who's a heart surgeon, who's also in, in, in the forefront. So it's, it's also looking at it from their perspective and, you know, what, what their protocol is and um, just trying to be supportive on that end. Yeah. Um, I forgot so much of your families in the medical field, which is probably both like helpful with information, but also terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, especially with testing, because, you know, there's such an emphasis on going to get tested and then I'm being informed from, you know, everybody else that the tests are not yielding such accurate results. Right. And, you know, um, and that's one thing that I'm really fortunate to have is have parents and extended family members and that um, take into account health so rigorously from the food that we eat to, um, you know, these kind of viruses that do exist um, in, in all forms, not just in this kind of pandemic, but how to how to protect yourself and 
to be quite honest, I would have never thought in my time that my studio gear would be my gear to be out in daily life. You know, I, I often use toxic chemicals, so I wear full-faced respirators and masks often. And so um, that that's been it's been interesting in the fact that now these these things that I wear inside to protect myself I'm now using on the outside of my environment. Wow! Yeah, that speaks. I mean, so my question was about how you're staying in touch with collaborators, but I think maybe even a bigger question related is are you still making art right now? Because I think you're, an artist is always an artist, but you know, it changes how actively you're making something. And I've figured out through these interviews that some people, people are having different responses. Some are really stopping that physical making and some are like digging in even harder. So when this, I guess, kind of early on, you know, in March started happening, I, it was interesting, there was a piece I did and I was quite disappointed with it. I mean, and it's a rather large piece, but I just felt such an urgency to redo it. And I thought, this is a pausing moment that I should finish it as quick as possible um, and give myself that time. Um, and, and in redoing it, right at kind of midway, maybe I was about 70% done is when I ended up getting sick. And, but as I've, I've started to recuperate, I was the first thing I wanted to get back to. And, um, but also give myself, just be patient with myself and honor also my, my healing period. And so, um, the other thing that I did in trying to understand what is happening, you know, to me physically, but also this return to just drawing. Hmm. Um, and so I ordered this anatomy book. I think it, the original edition came out maybe in 1915 or so, the vintage um, anatomy book. And it just has such beautiful, beautiful illustrations of the body. And so I started really acutely looking at, you know, pulmonary, the heart, and, and just different organs of the body and, and drawing those. Yeah. And, and so um, doing these very small, intimate pieces about the body uh, the internal body just and and the refresher also what what are the names of these um, very specific uh, you know the carotid or the aorta and things like that that I also did grow up with especially going to see these surgeries with my uncle hmm. but um, it it I think that has really helped me to just um, think about the body in a different way too, because, you know, when I was in DC the last time I was looking at, it wasn't necessarily a pandemic, but there was a typhus scare and there was also the Spanish flu. Um, and so I have 
I have been looking at the external, you know, the landscape and what that has, you know, the effects on even psychologically to the body. And in addition to like social and political and public health. Um, and so I started to see, you know, I'm seeing this research that I started to do in DC now very differently. Um, kind of with new eyes of, you know, how our landscape, how our environment, you know, really does affect our internal too. Yeah, this is the research in the National Archives you were referring to? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah exactly. It's interesting because you your work is also looking at not natural diseases, but man-inflicted man illness from the pesticides and people yeah. inflicting pesticides on other people. And, yeah. Um, you know, they, they all do damage to the lungs, but why they do damage is so different. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and what in our landscape, what in our environment is, how that is affecting our, even our autoimmune, our organs, um, how that is impairing certain things that um, I'm, I'm really interested in also these long-term effects, because if we, if we look at, um, say for example, the Bracero program, there's no, there was no research done on Braceros to see what were the specific effects of being sprayed with DDT to come in, and then also steeped in it in agriculture and in um, the railroad industry. Mm -hmm. And so most, a lot of the braceros who were participants in that have passed away. Um, and so my, my questions are also, you know, in our, in our time, we've, we've evolved in the kind of fertilizers and things like that, but I, I'm starting to see these things very holistically, essentially, mm. is, um, which is interesting because it really stems back to what I was looking at in undergrad. It was all about disease infestation. Oh. And it focused on my aunt who was an anesthesiologist who had cancer. And it was looking at how that, what was happening on the internal. And so then it, I started to look on the environment, what happens to trauma and violence. But a lot of these things are, you know, it's, it's kind of like a, a spoke wheel, you know, they all, mm -hmm. there's all these little connectors. And I think what I'm trying to do too is uh, try to stay informed and read and, um, and, and, and rethink how I'm approaching even this new body of work that I'm really interested in, in delving more, more in depth with in regards to these kind of delousing facilities that were established all along the US-Mexico border as, you know, as a way to contain the virus of typhus, you know, keep it in, in Mexico. And if they were going to enter the US, they had to, they were subjected to a a delousing procedure that involved kerosene or uh, Zyklone B sometimes, um, 
cyanide-based chemicals. And what, what does that have, what does that kind of um, use of those chemicals have on the long-term effects? Um, also generationally, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm asking myself a lot more que questions than maybe I've ever asked. Uh, which feels like sometimes you go into something and you're looking for answers, but you come out with more questions. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I imagine too, you've, you've already thought so much about borders and migration and national versus natural boundaries. And this, these pandemics both have changed so much. You know, the, what an American passport, what a U.S. passport means and gets you now is different. Um, and the same administrations overseeing that, the, the things that have led to that as oversaw what the US and other people's passports would mean, uh, you know, in the last few years too. So yeah. um, I imagine just borders are part of your questions. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because I, I feel like I go back to these, these kind of three things a lot lately, which is line is human, um, that Gago, she wrote a nice little excerpt about it, text about it. And then uh, Carmen Herrera, lines of sight. Hmm. And, um, and then also the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Uh, I've, I've just been really looking at these kind of these articles, uh, what does the line mean, you know, um, and how, how it defines um, justice, how it defines uh, the landscape, how it defines division. Mm -hmm. And um, I think those are, yeah, again, it's like going back, reverting back to those questions of, 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 of sitting with those things and, and also, you know, our past, whether it's from the pandemic, that this is not, a pandemic is not new. We have as uh, within our, I mean, not within our time, but within, you know, the, the Spanish flu, that was uh, a pandemic that affected people. So I think this is gonna be a very defining time. And so a huge part of my practice is also documentation. Um, so just writing about how I'm feeling or um, all of the things that have been compounded in this period of time. Um, because I think it's these, these traces that, um, and, and the type of, time capsules that we create that really allow other people, whoever does research of our time, to start to really formulate, it was really difficult. Mm -hmm. um, especially here in Texas right now that the numbers are so high. Yeah. I have a, a, my cousin who is the, the nurse in DC, she's um, considering coming to Texas to work. come and help the hospitals. Yeah, here in Houston. Mm -hmm. And so uh, 
so it's also, you know, thinking like, I, I mean, to me, she's always been a hero in the sense that she goes where that need is. And it's not just been here in the US. She's done that in other countries. Yeah. Um, and so I think, and, and I think it's also important that we consider that, yes, this is not just happening here in the US. This is so global. And it's having such an impact in so many different ways because we're still trying to understand this virus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so in the last couple minute, minute and a half, uh, something I've been asking artists, speaking artists to artists, what do you think is important to tell the artists in a hundred years about what it was like to be an artist in 2020? Um, it, it's eye-opening. It makes you extremely thankful for the things that you do have. And with the, with the, even the, the smallest thing to be so um, full of gratitude and that there is the opportunity to, to talk about this moment, to write about this moment, and, and to always share your voice, whether it's just with yourself. Mm. Find that space to just write about it internally because I think, um, and for me, the, the field notebook, the journal, the sketchbook, um, it harnesses so much of our, of our intimacy. This is like mm -hmm. the most intimate that we can be in vulnerable and fragile and um, and and then just being there for family and ex extended family and friends and to not stop searching for a way to do to connect and don't stop searching for a way to heal um, and then I guess that goes back into this when Denise asked about resilience my response was it's it's going to be movement it's going to be our movement through breath it's going to be our movement through pain it's going to be illness it's going to be movement through all of those yeah yeah Sorry, it glitched a little bit, but I caught it. Movement. Okay. Do you want me to repeat that? No, the words actually came through. The video glitched, though. So. Oh, okay. But it was perfect. And I th yeah, vulnerability is uh, something that archives excel in providing. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I know I had some quite vulnerable uh, moments in there in the kind of documents, like. Yeah that I found. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, I can't believe I found this. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for giving us this one. Of course. Right. Thank you for, for the opportunity to share and, and speak with you. Totally.